Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. All right, let's do this. Let's be honest with each other. It's Christmas time. You don't have to raise your hand. But there's all these different places you could be right now in this moment listening to this sermon. Some of you are on cloud nine. Christmas is your thing. Life is awesome. And you know what you're, get, you're getting what you asked for. Already you know it. You are pumped. Some of you are tired, distracted, going through the motions. You're going to rally yourself. And Christmas will be solid when you get there. For some of you, this is a horrible season. Horrible. There's so many sorrows that attend the holidays. The specter of who is not around with you looms so much larger than those who are. You know how gravity holds you to the ground and then there's some planets where gravity is different and you're like pulled to the ground. The brokenness and the weight of your life gets much heavier over the holidays, much heavier. Wherever you are at, we are inviting you to focus on Christ with us this year in this season. One of the ways you can do that is by disciplining your heart to remember the kind providences of God that are undeserved, but he gives to you from big to small. So can I just give you one and show you how I'm trying to get my heart in a place of joy around Christmas? So we are taking a sabbatical at the start of this new church year. We'll not be around to bother you for at least four months. One of my anxieties is that Pastor Justin and his family are going to come over here and serve you and with our pastors and our team for those months. And it's going to be great, but I have great concern for them, this big kind of life change for a short season and their kids. And so I have been hopeful and praying and working to make that as joyful of a transition as it can be for them. So you know what happens last Sunday? Somebody gets sick who's supposed to teach the K through first graders, and then the backup gets sick. And so since I'm not preaching, I'm able to go down there and teach those kids. And me, Noah, and Callie go down and love them. And do you know who is in my class down there with me for the day? It's Abraham, their third son. And I get to, in that space, love on that kid and welcome him in his first day in the new church that he is stepping into. Justin asked him how the day was, and he got home and he said, Dad, Pastor Matt was the teacher, and he didn't even let us play with the toys. <laughs> so I don't know how happy he was in the class, but I was happy because it was God's simple, kind providence to me in that moment to say, I've got you, I've got them, I'm with you, this is going to be fine. Do you understand that God, your Father, loves you like that? It doesn't mean he removes all horrible providences from you. He doesn't. But he showers you with kind providences like that. Don't miss them. And please don't miss that Christmas with a capital C is the kindest providence of God to you and to me, that God would send Christ 
to set us free from Satan's sin and death, that we might have the joy of becoming the sons and daughters of God. That's what we are amped about. All right, this crazy story is going to help us get us heart to that place. We've been calling loose gospel a gospel way bigger than anybody could have ever imagined or seen coming. Today that becomes true in who Jesus loves and in where Jesus goes. Both of those two things, the who in our story and the where in our story are communicating to you this gospel is bigger and wilder and more powerful than anybody could have imagined. All right, let's pray and we'll hit the words. Father, speak to us through your words. Scripture are your words to us. Sometimes you give us stories and we're supposed to swim in them and be changed by them. And I pray that we would do that today. Everybody in here would not miss the kind, powerful providence of God. Hear my prayer for that, I pray. Amen. All right, there's so much in here. We're just going to fly through this together. I'll put big thoughts up on the screen to anchor you to my words. The first thing I read to you was that they sailed to the land of the Gerasenes, the land of the Gerasenes. All right, quick. Think of a place, get it in your head with me, that you would not go to at any moment. Think of a place that you would avoid at all costs. Okay, what popped in there? Don't say school, Wes. I thought he was going school, school. Not school. Anybody have something that came right to your head? I would avoid this place at all costs. What do you got? Canada. I am not heading north. I'm going south. All right, Canada. At all costs, I'm avoiding that spot. What else came to mind? All right, Jersey is on the list. Sunday afternoon, the grocery store, 3 p.m. I'm just not stepping foot in that place. Anything else come to mind? The registry of motor vehicles. At any time. All right, my list was Long John Silvers. I know you ever heard of that. If not, that's a kind providence of God on your life. Christmas tree shop. Is anybody like I totally am down with? Okay. Yankee Candle. And for the men in the room, the woman's health aisle at Walgreens. Have you ever ended up there on accident? You're like, where is the candy? Can't. That is not candy. I am in the wrong aisle. There are some places that you just don't go. Everybody feel it? And sometimes you don't go to those places because you know there's no life there. It is an unclean place. I'm staying away. I typically get gas at the Hess station on, uh, near Route 60 in Revere. And the squire is angled from that. And whenever I'm pumping gas, I'm like, I can't even think of any possible circumstance in which I would want to walk inside of the doors of that building because it is so wrong what goes on in there. 
I would just feel dirty going through the doors. You know that feeling? That feeling. Raise it a hundred times and you get what Jesus is stepping into in the land of the Gerasenes. This is Gentile land. This is on the opposite side of the Galilee Sea where a good Jew would never go. It was called the Decapolis because there was 10 pagan towns, one more unclean than the other. It is not Jewish. And so if you are Jewish living in this land, this is the one spot you would not ever go. You feel it? And so you would imagine if the Messiah came to the people, the one place he would never go would be to the land of the Gerasenes. And yet, this is exactly where he goes. How did Jesus and his disciples end up stepping foot on this land? How did they get there? Did they get lost? No. Jesus said, we're going to the land of the Gerasenes. Let's go to the other side of the sea. You feel it? Jesus is heading right for this city, right for this man outside this city with a purpose, with fire in his eyes. He is attending to display the power of the gospel. It's a microcosm of Christmas, isn't it? The Son of God would come for us in the mess of this world. Why would you do that? Out of love for our good to display his glory. This is Christ the one who moves toward the mess. That's the start of this story. All right, when Jesus had stepped on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Okay, you guys are Americans, it's 2021, you're Bostonians. How many people had pause when you heard me say, had demons? Anybody else? It just is like, oh, here we go. This weird church stuff. I forgot. I'm in a church listening to a sermon, and the guy said demons. All right, I'm just going to read something to you because we don't have a whole time to do on this. But C.S. Lewis, awesome, wonderful author, wrote these words. I just want to read them to you. If you're going, oh, man, we're going to do a sermon that has demons in it. What is up with this? Here's what he wrote. This was a man who was an atheist who came to clear-minded faith in Christ. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. It surprised him, right? He would have heard a man who had demons and said, oh, give me a break. And then he said this, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. 
When you go to church, you're really listening in on the secret wireless from our friends. That's why the enemy is so anxious to prevent you from going. I know some will ask me, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend, the devil, hoofs and horns and all? Well, what the time of day has to do with it, I don't know. And I am not particular about the hoofs and the horns. But in other respects, my answer is, yes, I do. So that's how we approach this whole idea that what we can see and touch is not all that is here, that there is something beyond this and active in this life, and it includes powers of evil. And so when we read this, we pause and say, help me understand more of how this works. So you have to picture this with me. Jesus steps onto the shore, and suddenly, out of this graveyard, comes this man leaping, screaming, naked, hideous. You might pause and say, is that a man or a creature? His eyes are wide, they are bloodshot, his body is bruised and welted, his arms are waving wildly, his hair is an entangled, long mess. Can you see it? And this is because for years he has come under the power of evil. It has overcome his mind and his soul. And it is bent not just on tormenting this man, but destroying him altogether. That is the place that he has gotten to. A really, really dark place. Because of this, he has been forced or he has fled out of civil society, away from everyone. Nobody knows what to do with him. They've tried everything they could do to help him. He is beyond hope. He is beyond redemption. He is the worst case ever in the country. Helpless, lost, in slavery and bondage. It says that no one was able to subdue or calm or help this man, nobody. Do you feel it? What does this unusually strong man who is breaking chains apart need? He needs a stronger man to come and set him free. And this is why Jesus has said, we're going to the land of the Gerasenes. All right, when he saw Jesus, he screamed. Again, this is so like in this room, right? You all look good. Somebody's got Christmas clothes on. We remove ourselves from the reality of the brokenness of life for a moment. I need you to feel the ugliness and the awfulness of a scream and a shriek. Can you feel it? Threw himself on the ground before Jesus and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God. All right, so the man is speaking, but it's actually the spirits that are speaking through him. And what is it that they want him to scream? What is the posture that they want him to embrace? The question is, what have you to do with me? Or what are you doing here? 
Or, why are you bothering with me? Do you feel it? In other words, it's a question way of saying to Jesus, leave me alone. Leave, you shouldn't have come. I can't be helped. Do you feel it? How often do we take that posture when we find ourselves in a really dark place? That's our posture, right? It's exactly what the enemy of your soul and your joy wants you to do, to isolate yourself, to remove yourself from any means of grace, from anyone who could love you, to step away from any community, from any outside voice that leaves open the door of any possibility that you could get better, that you are not broken beyond repair, that there is a future for you. Leave me alone. I don't mean the kind of alone when we retreat from the noise of life to do our business with God. That's a good kind of alone. I don't mean the kind of alone when you say, hey, I need a time out or like a sabbatical for four months to remove some of the distraction and noise of life to focus on God and find peace in his presence. That's not what this is. That's not what the spirits have done to him. They have lied to him and said, here's what you need to do. Run and hide. Chase everyone away who is trying to help you. You are too far gone. You are such an embarrassment. You are such a lost cause. You loser. Think of all the ways that you've failed and all the people that you have hurt. There is no hope for you. Don't you dare let anyone else waste their time bothering with you. Does everyone feel it? That is this man's story. He is alone in a dark, dark place. But the glory of the gospel is that Christ in love will not just let him be. This is why Jesus got in the boat. This is why he stepped onto the shore. This is why he walked to the tombs. In love, he was coming for this man. All right, Jesus addresses him and asks him, what's your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered into him. In love, Jesus is personalizing this and saying, you matter. Tell me your name. There's hope. Who are you? And the man can't speak for himself. The spirits are still dominating him, and they say, Legion, that's his name. Legion was 5,600 soldiers. That's what a legion was. Soldiers intimates what? Conflict. War. If you open your Bible and you start at the beginning or you start at the end, you know what you will see? Conflict. War. Good versus evil thread throughout the story. In the garden, there's a dragon. Opposed, opposed to the glory of God. Opposed to the good. 
the joy, the holiness, the fruitfulness of God's people. And that war has been waging all throughout this age. The enemy wars on you through lies, just like he did with Eve, getting her to believe something that is not true about God or about ourselves. And what we are seeing in this story is the ultimate end game for you and for me, that we would be like this man, completely lost. But scripture teaches us beautifully that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. So this little confrontation, you should see it and say, this is just a microcosm, microcosm of the bigger reality of what Christ is accomplishing through the gospel. And he came to win this war for the souls of men. All right, I don't have time to get into the details, but he speaks to the spirits and they say, don't give us our final punishment now. Send us into those pigs over there. And so he does it and that whole herd races down the hill and is drowned in the sea. If you're doing Shape by Scripture track or you love your Bible, what comes to mind when you see this? When else have we seen the people of God being set free from slavery by God acting to drown enemy soldiers in the sea? Anybody? The story of the Exodus, the precursor to the gospel. God rescues his people from chains by drowning soldiers in the sea. What is Jesus saying? I am the greater Moses, and I have come to win the battle for the freedom of God's people. Jesus is restoring this man's humanity. All right, then the herdsmen who saw it ran like kindergarten girls away. Ah! and started telling everybody what had just happened. The pigs run down into the sea and the herdsmen do what? They totally panic. Why would they panic over this? What was their job? To make sure that there was bacon for breakfast in this community, right? You're supposed to keep those pigs alive. This would have been a major financial catastrophe not just for the economy, but for the pallet in the land of the Gerasenes. Imagine if you were in charge of a Cadillac dealership and somebody drove a couple of hundred caddies off the cliff into the ocean. What would you do? You would panic. Not my fault, but you would go tell somebody. And so now everybody rushes out to see what has happened. And they come down the hill and what do they see? No pigs, they're all drowned. What they see is the man who they all knew about, who they all had gawked at, who was completely lost and hopeless, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Can everybody feel the 180 in the story? If you had a highlighter with the words, you could say, okay, Matt, I'm gonna take yellow and I'm gonna do the beginning and then green and I'm gonna do the end. Here we go. Had many demons... Demons had gone out from the man, 180. Fell down before Jesus and screamed wildly. Was sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. 
He wore no clothes at all. He was clothed. He was out of control, trying to kill himself. He was at peace in his right mind. This is what Christ accomplishes for you and me through the gospel. He saves us. He heals us. He takes the mess and he makes something beautiful out of it. The people beg Jesus to leave and he says, fine. But just before returning to his primary mission to the people of God, he talks with the man. The man who, from whom the demons had gone out begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, go home and declare how much God has done for you. I love the ending of the story. The Gerasene, of course, wants to do what? He wants to stick as close as possible to Jesus, right? I am not leaving your side. Where are you going? You were in the boat? I'm getting in the boat. Can I come with you? Please, can I come with you? What does Jesus say? It's really weird. He says, no. Has Jesus turned anyone away from following him yet in Luke's gospel? Not even Mary, who had seven demons that she was freed from. She was with him. But Jesus says to him, no. Instead, Jesus says these powerful words. What does he say to this man? He says, go home. Okay, if you don't like fall over when you're reading your Bible, you're not reading it right. Imagine this guy driven from his home, now restored, and Jesus says, your mission's not with me. Your mission is to go home. Tell the Gerasenes about the mercy that God has shown you and how I have come with a gospel bigger than anyone imagined, a gospel that sets people free. And that's what this man did. This is the coolest thing, but if we were to go to the Holy Land together, I'm not doing it. Some people, like when they get a sabbatical, they go to the Holy Land that is not on my itinerary. But if we went to the Holy Land together and we went to the Sea of Galilee and we took a ferry across to the southeast side, You'd come to the town of Kersey. Anyone ever heard of it? Kersey in the Middle East. And about 40 yards off of the, the sea, there is this very steep place that runs down this hillside. It used to land in the water, but the water is sinking in the sea itself. And if we walk like a mile or so inland, we would find some cave tombs that used to be used as residences. And then if we're in a little way south of that neighborhood, do you know what we would find in the land of the Gerasenes? We would find the remains of a church. It's actually two churches, one small one and then a bigger one that was built on the smaller one. And we would say to ourselves, how did a Christian church end up in the land of the Gerasenes 1900 years ago? How did this happen? A Christian church where pagan Gentiles were set free from Satan and sin and death and hell through the gospel and gathered to worship Christ together.
How did we end up with Christmas being celebrated on the shores of the southeast edge of the Sea of Galilee where nobody would go? Because Christ came with a gospel that was bigger and stronger and better than anybody ever imagined, even to the land of the Gerasenes, even to a lost cause like this man. That's our gospel. All right, three things to think on and let it land on your soul. Number one is this. We are the Gerasene. We are the Gerasene. His story is humanity's story. Our story is no different than the story of this man. All right, whenever I say that in 2021, I get two different responses in the room. Some people go, yes. I totally get it, I am the Gerasene. And some people say, what are you talking about? That's not me. Some of you get it intuitively. You have had stuff in your life that has completely tied you up and dominated you, and you know it. For some of us it has been sins or addictions that we just could not kick, and you know it. You were a lost cause. For some of us, We have struggled literally with cutting ourselves and harming ourselves as this man did because the pain that attends our life of the opinions of others or the hurts that have come to us drive us to that hopeless place. I'm just going to hurt myself. We know what that is. It doesn't surprise us. Some of us have so much guilt from our sinning or our being sinned against that it haunts us and we feel like, I should live in either a haunted house or a graveyard. That's my life. For some of us, it is this fear and anxiety that cripples us and removes us from any normalcy. For some of us, there are hurts and regrets from the past that literally dominate us like 5,600 demons would do in our head or in our heart. You know it. You know what it is like to feel like Nobody can help me. Nothing works. Don't bother. Leave me alone. God would never step into the mess that my life has become. You know it. But even if you are not in a place like that, have not experienced that pitch of brokenness, you are still the Gerasene. All of us whether or not we've experienced an acute season of our brokenness in that way. Scripture is clear that we are all slaves of sin, capital S. The penalty for that is something that we cannot shake free of. And our accuser, the Satan, is how the Scripture talks about it, has power over us because we know, we know He's right. He's right. And without grace from the outside, there's no hope for us. We are all the Gerasene, all of us, unclean and hopelessly lost. Without comfort or hope in this life, what we need is Christ to step to us, to show us mercy. We need somebody stronger than us to come and set us free. 
And just like in this story, I'm telling you, this is exactly what Christ has come to do. He crossed from heaven to earth to find you, to find me, so that he might say, you're free, you're free. That's why we get pumped about Christmas. All right, second thought is this. Jesus became the Gerasene. Jesus became the Gerasene. How did he do it? How did he save us? We call it substitutionary atonement. Jesus stepping into the place for us to save us. In this story, he sets the man free just with a word, with a command, right? Come out of him and go. But what is the actual ground on which Jesus was able to speak those words with power? What was the ground? The ground of his words is his work on the cross. The ultimate ground of his ability to set anybody free is what he did on the cross. His decisive victory over legion came in his death on the cross. That's what I mean when I say to set Gerasenes free, Jesus became the Gerasene. Would you think about this? In this story, it's the Gerasene who is naked. But at the end of Luke's gospel, do you know what you're gonna see? You're gonna see Jesus naked, stripped of his clothes. In this story, it's the Gerasene who has been isolated from family and friends, so gross that nobody can look at him. But at the end of Luke's gospel, do you know what you're gonna see? Jesus, separated from his disciples and family, so beaten down that nobody wanted to even look at him. In this story, it's the Gerasene who is suffering outside the city near the tombs. But when you get to the end of Luke's gospel, you are going to see Christ suffering outside the city, near the tombs. In this story, it is the Gerasene who is shouting incomprehensible things as he is torn apart at the hands of the legion. But when you get to the end of Luke's gospel, you are gonna hear Christ shouting incomprehensible things as his body gets torn apart by the hands of the legion. In this story, it is the Gerasene's flesh that is ripped open by rocks. But at the end of Luke's gospel, we are going to see that it is Christ's body that is ripped open by the stones on the Roman lash. What is going on here? What is Luke trying to say to you and to me? Christ took the full force of evil, the full force of legion on himself. He didn't just come to the land of sin and uncleanness and curse. He came and he took the sin and the uncleanness and curse on himself. And in his death, he set us 
free. Here he says it with a word. On the cross, he grounds it in reality. And so now all I have to do is give you the word of gospel hope. Christ became the Gerasene in your place, in your shoes, so that you could become son, a daughter, free in Christ. And then the last thought is this. We are the Gerasene. Only I'm saying this in a different sense. It's the last idea. We who have received this mercy of God have been loved for a purpose. So many powerful thoughts in this, but I can't get away from Jesus saying, actually, don't come with me. Instead, go home. This is who we are. We are now people who have been sent to a home. And for us, it's just north of Boston. And Christ has sent us there that with our life and with our words, we may give the same kind of witness that this man was able to give. Not some technical, technical argument about the gospel, although I'll talk theology with all you day, all day. We get to say to people, can I tell you who I was? Can I tell you who I am? Can I tell you how that happened? Christ Jesus set his gaze on me. He stepped into a place nobody wanted to wade into. And he came with love and he came with power. And he changed me. I am who I am because of the grace of this Jesus. It's who we are. Whatever else attends Christmas for you this year, don't miss this grace of Christ. Don't miss it.